Morena and welcome to the Dawn Chorus for Thursday the 15th of July. It's just gone 8 o'clock. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. Well, yesterday the Reserve Bank went and did it. It tightened monetary policy much earlier than many were expecting. It didn't actually increase the official cash rate, which is still at 0.25%, but it announced the end of its money printing or quantitative easing program much earlier than everyone expected. They're not going to buy any more government bonds after July 23rd, so next week. Now that really was a surprise, a hawkish surprise, that saw uh, market expectations of the first actual OCR, official cash rate hike, move forward to August. So the big four banks are now saying that we're expecting to see the first official cash rate hike in August. And on wholesale interest rate markets, in particular, the one to watch is the two-year swaps market. We saw a 25 to 30 basis point increase in those wholesale rates over the last two to three weeks, and they rose again yesterday. This is all because the economy is going gangbusters, it seems. Uh, there is plenty of uh, work out there, record high job ads, um, Worries from many people in business about skill shortages, concerns about wage increases, some price increases being pushed through by businesses, and their expectations of putting through more price increases is at its highest level ever. The question is, has the Reserve Bank gone too early? Because remember, we are way ahead of what other central banks are doing. In particular, the US Federal Reserve, the Reserve Bank of Australia, the European Central Bank, and even the Bank of England, who all face the same inflation pressures and who are saying, hang on a minute, we think it's temporary. The logistics problems attached to COVID-19, the disruptions in the labour market are there right now, but we think that inflation is temporary and by next year, uh, things will be getting back to, quote, normal. Uh, the Reserve Bank is taking a different approach here. Unlike those other central banks, uh, in particular the, EC the ECB, the Federal Reserve and the Reserve Bank of Australia, the Reserve Bank here is continuing on with its policy of shoot first, ask questions later. This essentially says if you're running monetary policy, you've got to move your interest rates 18 months ahead of where you think inflation is going to be to try and bend it down. And at the moment, the Reserve Bank is forecasting that inflation just barely gets back above 2% uh, by the, uh, the middle of next year, early into 2023. So it essentially is um, looking over the horizon, seeing the inflation, judging that it's there and putting up interest rates. This could be a problem because in the last decade, this is how the Reserve Bank has done things and how most other Reserve Banks have done it as well. But in the last 6-12 months, the Reserve Bank of Australia, the European Central Bank and the Federal Reserve have adopted a new policy. So it's not so much shoot first, ask questions later, it's let's wait until we see the whites of the eyes of the inflation increase and then we hike. So as to avoid premature uh, tightening of monetary policy. They're saying that inflation has been somewhere between 0 and 2% for most of the last decade, when we actually want it to be closer to 2%. So to offset that lower than we wanted inflation of around 1%, we're 
we're willing to tolerate higher than normal inflation of around 3% for that period to offset the 1% for the last decade. So essentially, they're going for an average of 2% over 20 years with uh, running inflation a bit hotter at the moment as the way to get there. The Reserve Bank isn't doing that. It's tightening almost as soon as inflation gets back above 2%. Now, the risk is that we have a premature tightening. As we saw in 2019, when the Reserve Bank came out of the GFC, it thought, right, let's get back to normal, put up interest rates, and the inflation didn't come. And it had to put it back down again immediately after the Christchurch earthquake, although it probably would have had to have done it anyway. And then again in 2014, the then governor, Graham Wheeler, put up interest rates and warned of mortgage rates around 8%. And then about 18 months later, he had to put them back down again. And despite the Reserve Bank continually forecasting that it would put up interest rates in the next couple of years, eventually it cut them, of course, down to almost zero. Now, we'll see whether the inflation comes. My view is that inflation is temporary and that all of those things that created those deflationary pressures over the last decade, so that's the factories in China, the globalization of the workforce, the appification of the economy, the growth of artificial intelligence and uh, platforms that essentially let the algorithm do the work rather than the person and which open up services sectors in various economies to the rest of the world, those are still there. COVID hasn't killed those factories and shipping containers and apps. In fact, if anything, it's accelerated, particularly the appification of the economy. Remember, those shipping containers and ships are still there. In fact, the shipping companies are now madly building even bigger ships, which will come on stream in a couple of years' time. And most people in the industry think that those shipping rates will come down reasonably quickly. And we've been remarkably effective over the last 20 years at responding to these price increases for the likes of oil or computer chips and continuing to drive prices down. So um, we'll see who's right and who's wrong. The Reserve Bank has decided to, it thinks, err on the side of caution and act sooner than expected. And what does it mean for people in the housing market? Because in theory, the Reserve Bank has to take that into account. And it actually uh, said that it expected the resulting increase in mortgage rates from its decision yesterday would take some uh, heat out of the market. And by the way, the market is still inflating at a rate of about 10% per year, or it was until 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon. That's down from the 20 to 30% we saw in the second half of last year in the first uh, quarter of this year. But um, these are obviously unsustainable levels of not just inflation, but unsustainable levels full stop of house prices. Uh, the Reserve Bank made the point that the inflation itself was unsustainable. It um, didn't go out of its way to say that the levels were unsustainable. Now, why am I being a little bit more cautious on this than perhaps a whole bunch of other people you might have heard in the last day or so? Well, just this morning, the US Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, who really is the most important central banker in the world, came out and told uh, Congress in a statement that he thinks the inflation is temporary and he's going to continue printing at a rate of 120 billion US dollars a month to support the economy through the next couple of years. And that encouraged plenty of people on the stock markets and the bond markets. And we actually saw the US 10-year Treasury yield, which is the key one to watch on global interest rate markets, 
that actually fell five basis points to 1.36 and it's well below its March high of 1.77. So everyone's in a tiz here about the outlook for inflation, but the rest of the world, they had their tiz in March and right now they're feeling a bit more relaxed about it. So we'll see who's right and who's wrong. Currently, financial markets are betting on its temporary. New Zealand Central Bank and all of the bank economists are betting it's a worry and is going to be permanent. My view is it's temporary. Okay, what else is happening in the world? Well, um, oh, just one other thing uh, before we leave the interest rate issue. One little detail I think is interesting and no one else has picked up on much is that the Reserve Bank left open its funding for lending program. Now, this is the one where it lends money at the official cash rate, so 0.25%, directly to the banks. Now, they haven't used it much. They're wary, of course, that uh, they get accused of pumping up the housing market with uh, fresh printed money from the Reserve Bank. So instead, what the banks have done, certainly ASB and ANZ, is say, we'll only use this very, very cheap public funding, 0.25%, to fund mortgages for people building new homes. And the Reserve Bank left that funding for lending program in place yesterday. So also ASB, who actually increased their most of their mortgage rates and their deposit rates before the official cash rate was increased, has also left its, what it calls its uh, uh, back the build loan rate of 1.79%, it's a variable rate, in place. So that hasn't changed. So what you're going to see is a bit of an opening up of a gap between loans for new builds and loans for just regular um, buy the next door neighbor's house. And that's a good thing that might encourage yet more building, which of course is the ultimate solution to this um, housing crisis, uh, along with a change in tax policy, I believe, but uh, no one's talking about that anytime soon. Okay, what else is happening in the world? Well, on climate change, uh, big new announcements out of Europe. The European Union has announced 13 large new measures to uh, reduce its emissions even more. It's calling this program Fit for 55. And the reason is they are going to aim for a 55% reduction in their carbon emissions by 2030 from their 1990 levels. They are bringing forward uh, their date for um, ending the uh, uh, production of petrol and diesel powered cars uh, to 2035. And in fact, they're increasing the proportion they see that's going to be purely electric uh, to over 50% from about 37% by 2030. So um, really expect lots of announcements from the European car makers that they're going to be phasing things out. Remember, 2030, you know, is barely eight and a half years away. So... If you're thinking about your fleet and you're thinking, uh, what what am I going to have in my fleet in 2030? Or, you know, if you're thinking about owning a car, what's going to be not just politically but economically acceptable in 10 years' time? It's it's not going to be a big honking double cab ute. Although, um, this just emphasizes the political challenges here. So the European Union has announced, for example, a carbon border adjustment mechanism. Again, one of these euphemisms for a tax on imports of concrete, steel, aluminium, and fertilizer from countries which have weaker emission standards and environmental standards. Now this CBAM, as it's called, will effectively force importers of these things to buy credits in Europe's emissions trading scheme. 
And it's worth keeping an eye on that. Uh, those European uh, carbon credits, um, they're up around 59 euros a tonne this morning. That's about 90 New Zealand dollars a tonne, just to give you an idea. That is close to double what the current carbon credit price is in New Zealand, which is currently about 47 a ton. Now that's up quite sharply from about $35 a ton in the last six weeks since the release of the Climate Commission's final report. Now we have a little quirk in our system still which means that if it hits $50 this year the government has to dump a bunch of credits in the market and force it down so there's an effective cap on the um, carbon price at the moment. And uh, but that will go next year and so people are talking about and in fact there are futures markets predicting a carbon price in New Zealand of $70, $80 a tonne within a year or two. And certainly we're already there in Europe. Also, Europe is going to introduce uh, taxes on aviation and maritime fuels. And importantly, it has brought the shipping industry or will bring the shipping industry into its emissions trading scheme. Now, that means shipping intra-EU, you know, the Black, well, the Black Sea, but around the Mediterranean and uh, the North Sea, uh, that will have to um, be covered by the emissions trading scheme and half of the traffic outside of the EU. So if you think those um, container costs were going to come right back down, they might not quite come down as far as you think, uh, in part because these taxes are being introduced by other people. So you could argue, well, what does it mean for us? Um, we're not in the European Union. Well, if we want to export stuff to the European Union, we have to show how um, clean and green we are and at the moment, we're still increasing our carbon emissions. We are way off the European um, uh, standard. Um, they're going to reduce their emissions 55% from 1990 levels. We are still way above our 1990 levels, and we haven't taken many actions at all. But it just emphasizes you know, the um, potential political risks for this government, and any government really, and the problems politically. It's it's going to involve taking these sorts of tough measures that the Europeans are talking about. And there'll be plenty of political action in Europe too. Um, there's a few Eastern European countries who really don't like what's about to happen. And of course, when you do this, you have to make sure that all of these petrol taxes and carbon charges don't just land on the poorest, who of course are spending a much higher proportion of their income on uh, fuel and heating and the likes. And... Uh, it's worth watching this climate politics area. Uh, we haven't really had, you know, big strong debates about climate politics in New Zealand up until now. Um, both parties have talked a good game about, yes, climate change is a thing and we'd like to do something about it, but neither of them have really done much. The emissions trading scheme, which has been in place and was there a long time ago, hasn't really been used much and hasn't made much of a difference. Now it's about to be beefed up and there are some who think that we should put all our eggs into that uh, basket. Uh, but uh, certainly um, there hasn't been, you know, real political heat between the two main parties on this until now. And uh, increasingly we're seeing Judith Collins head into that Trumpy area of um, being against these taxes and um, identifying herself and the National Party with those who are basically saying, no, um, we, why should New Zealand pay the price for... Um, uh, the world's problems and you're seeing for example that there's going to be a big protest on Friday um, not just here in Wellington but in various provincial cities around the country by a rural group based in Southland called Groundswell 
um, who also have managed to pull in a bunch of uh, small city mayors against a, a grab bag of things uh, they describe as uh, protests against centralisation. You've got the three waters reforms going on, the DHB reforms. Um, that's certainly a theme of the government at the moment is centralisation. And they're throwing the ute tax in there, uh, as I've been saying for a couple of years. Uh, and if you want to have some fun and see how I've been thinking about this, I wrote a piece in January this year which talked about um, the uh, problems we're going to have achieving our climate goals when we have a culture based around suburban living and double cab utes. And the double cab ute really is the hot button topic of the day, and it's been described as a ute tax by the um, the National Party. Remember, this is the rebate scheme where buyers of utes and other bigger vehicles pay more and the money they pay goes in a subsidy to people buying more energy efficient cars and electric cars in particular. Now I'm quite interested in this climate change issue and how the politics change and in this week's podcast for the spin-off When the Facts Change, I take a closer look at our electricity industry and the problems we're having with very low solar panel take-up, some structural problems with the industry and um, some new opportunities around the horizon. Look out for that later on today. And uh, there's been some news on that front with Megan Woods apparently now being a little bit concerned about higher electricity prices. Wholesale prices, of course, have more than tripled in the last um, year or so, and it's driven a lot of those independent retailers out of the market. And if you want some confirmation, we aren't doing a great job on climate. Uh, we imported a million tonnes of dirty coal from Indonesia in the last year just to pump through the Huntley station and uh, get power up to Auckland. Um, we pride ourselves on having a high proportion of renewables, but that 10-15% gap uh, between the 85% renewable and the 100%, that's at the moment being taken up by coal, in part because we've got various problems getting gas to the right place. But um, keep an eye on that one. Um, we call ourselves clean and green, but actually we're way behind the curve on reducing emissions and today's announcement from Europe just reinforces that. Okay, that was a dawn chorus for Thursday the 15th of July. I'm Bernard Hickey on the Kaka.